Welcome to Conversations About Life. My name is Will Jackson, and I'm glad to be here with John and Louisa Lotzgazelle. And uh, John is the Vice President of Academics... Education. Education. Officially, yeah. Okay. At the Rio Grande Bible College. Mm-hmm. And um, they train people here to um, for Christian service in Spanish-speaking areas and countries all over the world. And they've, and he's here with his wife, uh, Louisa. And how are you guys doing? Having a great day. We have had visitors already from Mexico today and preached this morning in a church that's predominantly Spanish, but I spoke in English because they, they meet in English. Okay. So cool. And the fun thing about our visitors is they moved their wedding date up. This is a couple that just graduated from the school. And so to have them move their wedding date forward and invite us to come to Mexico for it was really fun. Yeah, that sounds exciting. <laughs> How long have you, you guys been here at the school? This is our third year here. Okay. And you're a, a pr- professor also. What do you teach? Yes, I teach... Um, the Gospel of John, the Gospel of Mark, Ephesians, ethics, and uh, a course in Christian life, too. That one is in English for Christian life, and that's to language students that come in, predominantly English-speaking people that want to become missionaries, and they're being trained by another branch of the college in Spanish, how to speak Spanish. They start with, some of them with not any idea, but they can speak by the time they're, they get through one year. Uh, like, like Billy and Sarah did, they, they're doing really great. Yeah. 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 It was kind of neat. We were at a Spanish speaking church, you know, where the sermon and everything was in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And just to hear, um, you know, Billy talking with people back and forth. So Easily was mm-hmm. just pretty neat to to hear. Mm-hmm. Well, um, John and Louisa, I've heard that you've had you know quite um, a career of missionary work and different types of Christian service. Um, would you just kind of briefly go over just what that looks like or what you've done just so we can get an idea of what your experiences have been together. Yes. If, if I can start, I just would say my first, uh, support person in missions was a elderly lady retired in Kansas city from the telephone company. And she was a member of the church that Louisa and I were going to then. And when she heard that I was going to go into missions in 1970, I had, I planned between my third and fourth year of college at Calvary Bible College, I planned to go to the Philippines for a year with, uh, Herbert Epp, who's the son of Theodore Epp from Back to the Bible, and he was with the Far Eastern Gospel Crusade. So he said, you know, you could go with me to the Philippines, but it needed to be a year, not just a summer, but an entire year. So I prayed about that, and I told him, yes, I want to do it. And this little lady in the church heard about it, and she said, oh, good, I'll give you $100 a month, just immediately. Wow. And Char, my wife's name is Charlene Louise, and here we go by Louisa. Okay. I might vary between those two, depending on what part of my <laughs> history we're talking about. Okay. But she, uh, she was the second supporter. And she was a nurse's in nurses training and working about twenty hours a week and she supported me also every month. And we we got engaged right about the time I went to the Philippines and then we got married after a a year after I came back because I had to finish my fourth year of college. But hmm. I really really got into missions. I lived only with Filipinos that year. I could work in English in that country, but I thought, oh, that would be easy. It was two months before I could understand the English. (laughs) And then I could understand everything they said, but it was my first language experience. 
And uh, it was really overwhelming, but really opened my eyes to what was going on. And at that time, 1970, there were just beginning to be a few small Bible-based churches in the Philippines. There were some that were bigger in the big cities, but there has been a lot of evangelism in the Philippines since then. And it was a, that was the first thing. That was just a year. But to make it a little quicker, my wife and I, then we went to, after we got married in 1972, we went to Dallas Seminary from 73 to 77. And that we met a lot of foreign students there, made friends because of our Filipino friendships. Even in Char's uh, medical training, people that were Filipinos would say, oh, your, your husband's going to the Philippines. Let's eat together. So we got a lot of foreign friends that way. In Dallas Seminary, we continued that. And in 77, we went to Ecuador to translate the Bible into the Quechua Indian language. Now, that was the Inca Empire of old. Uh, Francisco Pizarro conquered that. And to, he conquered the uh, leaders in Peru and took over the entire empire. And Spain eventually took over all of, most all of Latin America. Brazil did it, was Portuguese, but there we were in Ecuador translating, but we had to come here to Rio Grande Bible College to learn Spanish for a year, just for the government paperwork and to keep our visa current and everything in Ecuador. So we, we came here and learned Spanish, but then we, the first week we were in Ecuador, we began to work on Quechua. And then we translated the entire Bible into the Quechua Indian language. And that was, um, probably the hardest thing we ever did. We lived at 12,000 feet above sea level. We had our four, four kids there. Uh, two were born there, but that we we all were there for 12 years together and as soon as that they grew up from that I came back to the states one of our children had a medical problem so we came back and I got a degree in teaching bilingual education so I worked in a public school for 15 years almost all with hispanic students and I was one of the only people that spoke Spanish to the public for that group, then it happened that our youngest daughter was getting married a year earlier than we thought she was going to. So we said, hey, we could go somewhere else. So we went to Africa. Hmm. God just worked it out. We went to Africa and we, we have people that were helping there that we knew that we helped disciple that are planting churches in Nigeria. And they were just lay pastors, but the situation in Africa turned out that working personally with them was the main way they had time to learn more about the Lord. And I'm, and I can write to them in English. So I sent them something this week about the Gospel of John. Then from there, I worked in Cambridge. We, we were a year there and worked on a doctorate for three or four years. Did not finish that because it was it was beyond our scope financially. But I learned a lot about what to do to study the Bible and not just to read books. <laughs> so we came back to the States and we thought, we should get into a Bible college and help young people that are younger really get going. And that's when a couple of friends from college from back in the 70s said hey you you're free you should come to you should come here and teach in spanish and i thought wow i haven't used spanish in a long time but uh we came and visited and it was such a great thing is still going on here with outreach to more than 20 countries and we thought well we should try this we'll go for a semester and learn how to say like uh, may, might, would, could, can, and should in Spanish, you know, the kind of more complicated phrases. I would do this. If he had done that, I would have done this. That is not automatic for anybody, even in English. So 
Mm-hmm. We had to work on some of the finer points. We did a semester of that, and then I started teaching John and Ephesians right off the bat, and I was overwhelmed. First year in 19... Not not 20 now it is. 2016, I I assigned some books and I thought, man, I can't hardly read these books, you know. The next year I noticed, hey, I can read the tech. I can read the textbook. I mean, is it just like English? Now I actually don't have to think like, oh my gosh, I have to figure out what this is saying. No, now I can, I like it Uh and I enjoy it and I'm, Figuring out, in my third year, I figured out, if you could only take four books with you back to South America or wherever you go, because of the the, way, the weight limit on, the, on your suitcase, you should take these four. Or these three, you could get on your Kindle, and that would be available already on your computer or your phone or your little iPad or something. So we're really beginning to feel like, we want to stay here as long as we can. We started when we were 68, I think. We we hope to go on at least till we're 80, but we don't we don't believe in retirement. We believe in keep going at a steady pace and see how far the Lord takes you. Yeah. So that's kind of how we've gotten here where we're at today. Okay. Well, thanks. It sounds really uh, adventurous. It sounds fun. Um, I know there's probably a lot of details and things along the way, but um, what I um, thought would be interesting to me to ask you about mm-hmm. is, um, well, there is that verse um, about something about, um, you know, God redeeming a people who are zealous for good works. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's just natural for the, you know, Christian experience, I think. People are are you know zealous for good works to come from their life, and probably just the human experience in general. People want to live a meaningful life and so mm-hmm. forth. I thought what would be interesting is um, what kind of um, lifestyle supports a life of you know th- this type of service, like what you guys have been through. Um, so I thought maybe we'd start with like um, mm-hmm. disciplines, like as far as just the fruitfulness of your life, um, the things you've done, plus maybe just smaller ways you've impacted people and like, you know, kind of how God uses you and so forth. Um, what uh, are there any spiritual disciplines that contribute to that or anything um else that you can think of that, you know, just really contributes to like a, a fruitful life. Oh, would you mind if Shara would go first? Oh, sure. Yeah. She's really good at summarizing. I'm more of a historian. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so historians are more detail oriented. Well, at least I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I think, Probably every person in the world would answer that differently. But generally speaking, um, to begin with, a life of service, from my viewpoint, has to come from uh, knowing, walking closely with the Lord. And that's such a vague answer, I know, Um But I think probably mothers and fathers can understand that, especially when they have a lot of children or or even one child to begin with. Um, They don't, uh, that person doesn't have as much time as they used to have. And so they have to, like in the morning, um, maybe they only have time to read one verse and think about it. And think, how is that going to apply to my life today? Um, making four loaves of bread in this wood-burning stove that I can't even get the fire going in. <laughs> how does that verse in the Bible have anything to do with that? Um, so, definitely, I would say the first thing is is one thought in the morning 
that will help contribute to all whatever activity you're doing in the day. And of course, that activity can be a thousand different things, but it's amazing to me how God's Word, that's how, it's alive and powerful. It always is fresh and new, and that one thought applies in all cultures around the world, in every situation. Um, it's amazing. And if you just ask God, show me how this applies to my life today, He'll show you. Hmm. Okay. It's <laughs> good. Uh, do you have anything to add, John? Yeah, I um, really am going to say the same thing probably, but I, I studied Hebrew in seminary, so I love Hebrew. And for our wedding anniversary, um, we had been in this seminary a year already, and for, for or was it a Christmas present? Well, which present are you speaking uh, of? Lysowski's Hebrew Concordance. <laughs> that was our your wedding that present was my when we what, got married. Yeah, it was the wedding present you gave me for our wedding, yeah. That was a beautiful Hebrew Concordance, all in Hebrew, all handwritten by this guy that could handwrite manuscripts as neat as they were printed off of a computer where there weren't computers in that time so <laughs> so this was a photo exact photo replica of this guy's handwritten 1200 page manuscripts you know of all the words in hebrew and their their canonical order and i was fascinated with looking up every use of certain words not the but you know like love or grace, things like that. And I would look those up and take notes on them and notice what they were talking about. And and then I would begin to read the paragraphs, that the main ones. But I decided, I mean, you know, I started doing that and I'm, I kind of backed off and said, I need to read the Bible in English. And then if I find a really key idea, I need to research it like that. I don't need to do that that much. So I... I began reading just uh, like Genesis over and over, and it really started making sense to me. And I found that if I do that first thing in the morning before everything else started happening, and I was working as a custodian on the side when I was in school when we were married, and I was in seminary, I was working, moving furniture at night, I found that in the morning I needed to read as soon as possible while I was still fresh. And I would get curious about different things that it was saying, but they came out with the New American Standard Bible around that 73 or something. And it had notes, not uh, textual notes or anything, but just like references. It was a reference Bible. That's that's the idea. <laughs> It had references, so I would read and read and read, and then I would decide, I can't look up all the notes, but I'm going to look up <clears throat> at least one in each chapter, what I think is the main verse I want to know more about. And I just love those kind of details, so I did that, and I began to notice when I was reading in the New Testament, I would notice, man, it keeps referring to the Old Testament way more than I thought it would. And... um I was in seminary, and I, I didn't know I was that interested in that, but when I wound up being a Bible translator, that was exactly what I needed. It was like God was preparing my heart for working in, a, in another language in Quechua, but mostly I read in English because that's my heart language. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking about how do you, how do you, how does this fit in other cultures? Because I'm really not studying this just to be an expert and win an argument. I want to help people live to please God and, and know the gospel clearly, very clearly, so they can be confident when they present their king to other people. I want them to be sure that they're telling the truth about him and that they're convinced that the Bible is true. And so I just began to think of it. 
of the people I was around, whoever it was, whether it was a Nigerian pastor in the seminary library or later in the, in the work we were doing, different people I worked with on the translation, I always tried to get involved in their life and say, have you noticed this? Do you think, what do you think this means? And work on figuring it out together with them and praying about it. I think it's real important to be involved with other people and to pray that, Lord, show us what this means so we can make sure we don't want to learn this to to win an argument somewhere. We want to learn this so we can teach our children and our grandchildren someday how they should live according to your word. And we want to sharpen each other like iron sharpens iron. That was one of the verses a Kichwa pastor brought up to me. And I don't remember what language he brought it up in Spanish, maybe, because we were translating from a Spanish Bible into Quechua. But working together with other people, always thinking about the Word of God, and we want all areas of our life to be controlled by Him, not just one little piece. Most Quechuas didn't have any training. They were brand-new Christians, and... It was, it was helpful to me to be involved with new Christians who are saying, how do I discipline my children? I'm like, well, how did your parents? Well, sometimes it was like, ah, I worked in the field and I was told to be quiet. And that was how I was disciplined. That was it. Nothing. <laughs> they told, told me nothing, taught me nothing. And I, and my dad was kind of harsh and I don't want to be harsh. And I noticed my wife cowering sometimes when I talked to her louder than I should. What can I do about that? So we start looking in the Bible and finding answers, and the guy's transformed before my very eyes. I'm thinking, hey, what about me? (laughs) But that interaction with the Word, with that hunger to know so that you can obey, not just know, but to to follow. Like Mm -hmm. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. Mm -hmm. I know them, but the really important thing for us They follow me, he says. They follow. Mm -hmm. And I was looking for that in all the Old Testament, all the things we studied. I've always... But I think I learned that from from working with foreigners, and I... Oh, I say foreigners. I just mean my fellow students, but I've been attracted to people from other groups besides just my own group because I've always loved missions since the Philippines. Yeah. So um, you're talking about being in the Word, and you're talking about being in the Word of other people and praying over it, contemplating it, just letting it soak in and Mm -hmm. growing in your understanding of it. As as you were talking, I was thinking, like, sometimes for me, what I've experienced is, well, there's not a problem with the understanding in a certain point, but there might be just a heart problem, you know, and there's situations mm-hmm. like that, like love your enemies, you know, that's kind of like, well, you see what the text says, but it's like, but then making your heart do that, you know, mm-hmm. and then there's other things, you know, examples where you could, you could go to where it's, but you have any thoughts? I mean, I'm sure just letting the more the word just soaks in, it's going to have a transforming effect. Yeah. Um, well, so I just I just noticed that the dean of the school here has been saying to students. Um, I mean, I wasn't in a former, formerly I wasn't in such a formal training where I had students that came to classes. It was like we were working on this project of translating the Bible, or I worked with grade school children that were in a public school. That was a that was to maintain my family. And I would work in churches on the weekend and things. But then in Cambridge, working in the doctorate with other Christians and in a boarding house with people that were Muslims and Chinese Communist Party members and everything else, it just struck me that, wow, what a world. And we would pray, Sean and I would pray before we ate, and some Chinese students would come up to us and say, did you pray? I said, yes. Oh, I've heard of that. I, can I watch you next time too? Hmm. I said, sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll make sure and invite you. Hmm. And they wanted to hear. 
And they spoke fluent English. They were PhDs already. Mm-hmm. And they, they just wanted to be around us and they wanted to, to know more about God in every aspect of life. Mm-hmm. But I noticed coming here too with the students that are believers. Well, the dean of students encourages them to, to be discipled and to hang around whoever you can hang around and pray together every week. So I pray together with several students every week and our fellowship keeps growing. And they ask me, how do you know who's the right person to marry? How do you know, how can you forgive a person when they keep saying, yeah, I don't say it right in Spanish. I mean, even among Spanish speaking people from different countries, there's some of that mm-hmm. and just any kind of struggle. Now, we're only talking in Spanish when we're doing this. And and I make mistakes in Spanish, but they are very forgiving. But the main thing I'm trying to say is that I find strength in numbers. <laughs> and I don't dictate to them like, I know everything, and so here's what you need to think. I ask them, would it be possible for us to consider this? Do you think that verse could mean that? Can these verses be used this way to help us deal with crisis that we face? And as we think together, they come up with applications that I wouldn't come up with. And I pray over it with them, and later we decide, I think that's for everybody in the whole world all the time. Uh, But always presented in love, not like I'm right and you're wrong. Uh If you don't agree with me, no, our whole approach has to be like, I love God and he's not threatening you. He wants you to think about, come and let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be white as snow. That's not a threat. That's like, you really need rescue. Do you really need help? Can I help you? Will you listen to me? And as we grow together, as we pray for one another, we correct each other. Uh-huh. We sometimes come back a month later and say, you know, when we were saying this, I think we should adjust it this way. Not that we have all the answers, but I think we should emphasize this in the situation we're now in, in this place, in this time in history. And they're wondering about how does this apply to Nicaragua or Honduras or Mexico and it's beginning to, we keep, we keep seeing the things that this is for every country. This is, everybody needs this. And let's stay in touch and let's write. So we have friends that are planning churches in Honduras and other places that write to us on the, on the computer. And we're beginning to try and build a network just of friends that pray for each other. And we think that is a really key thing to, to, not not that we're going to publish a book or something. We're just trying to help each other live a godly life and be responsible mm-hmm. and say, pray for me. I I feel like the landlord is charging me too much and it really makes me angry, And I, but I don't have a better place to live. And so we pray about that, and it helps the person endure what they have to endure. For if someone wanted to put that into practice having that kind of a network, does that need to be limited in size in order just to stay involved with each other's lives well? or In, in the personal sense, yes. I mean, when somebody's right here and I'm, I can see them every week and we can pray, we often, we're not having one-hour prayer meetings. We're meeting in the hallway and saying, well, I got a C- minus on my Greek exam. What can I do? I'm like, well, let's pray. I have no idea. (laughs) I mean, you know that you have to keep everything in balance, but you're working a lot, you're studying a lot, you're not sleeping enough. Let's pray. And right, we just move to one side of the hallway and we pray. We bow our heads, we put our hands on each other's shoulder, and we pray right then. And they sometimes with tears in their eyes, they look at me and say, thank you, I need that perspective. It's sometimes just that encouragement to go to the Lord with it. Hmm. And don't be afraid to go with other people to the Lord. Mm -hmm. 
instead of saying, our government is this, our government is that, what are we going to do in Mexico about this and this and this and this, and what about the water and what about the light? And let's pray about it because we're not talking to the governor of your state until he asks us, mm-hmm. what should we be praying for him, for them? Mm-hmm. How, how, we're not just praying, God, remove this guy. Daniel, we look at the scripture and try to think, well, hey, Daniel was thrust into a situation. He didn't get elected to be in Babylon. He got ripped out of his country. Mm-hmm. But he had such a good attitude that he overcame all these difficulties. And when people tried to kill him, he didn't retaliate. And when the Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm going to, I'm going to kill all of you people, all of my advisors, if you don't tell me what this dream means. Daniel finds out about it, one of the last ones to find out, and says, wait a minute, God will tell me the answer. Tell him to give me till tomorrow. He goes in and tells the king the answer, and he does not say, and so save me alive and remove the other ones. They had been resisting him. The other ones had been pushing him, trying to push him away. He saved all those families. He saved all those people. Uh-huh. And he also saved the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar didn't do a lot of harm to a lot of people that he could have done because of influence from Daniel and other people. And so we're praying, Lord, we need Daniel to, sh- to show up in Venezuela before it's too late, Lord. We're praying that. We pray that several times a week. We don't know any other answer. But we feel like that is a, Joseph did the same thing in Egypt. I mean, God inserted somebody in there that had his viewpoint and that forestalled a crisis. So that's what we're praying based on what we know from the scripture. Hmm. You know, that, so that we don't think, okay, what's the right political philosophy? You can get off and study everything under the sun and think, I'm going to know everything about everything, so I'll have all the answers. And you don't study the Bible anymore. Then you study everything else. But if you go back to the Bible with this question in your heart, like, Lord, what should I pray for this crisis that's maybe affecting my own country, whatever that country is? And you read whatever book you're studying in class, like Ephesians, we'll read it all the way through when you got free time on Saturday and ask God, well, how does Ephesians apply to the situation my family's facing in Mexico? People are coming up with applications like, I need to write my grandmother and tell her, don't worry, if you if you get sick, I can come help you. Whatever we need to do, we need to make the Bible for every day, every situation. Because the attitudes to overcome are there. But we're helping guide each other in those things. Because I often, I mean, I can't see how they see it until they tell me. When they tell me how they see it, I learn like, oh, the American way to look at stuff is not the only way that God leads people. And and it doesn't have to necessarily be international. It's not like we're inventing something new. But it's really just brothers talking like brothers that get along, mm-hmm. that want everybody in the family to be all right and to grow, grow, grow closer to the Lord Jesus. That's the main thing. Hmm. Have there been any struggles or obstacles in your life that you would like to share that are very hard, but God has used them to make your life more fruitful. (laughs) Uh, Well, probably the first thing that comes to my mind is um, in Africa being robbed um, while we were totally sound asleep in bed at two in the morning or three in the morning at gunpoint. Um, we did wake up for it. Yeah, we, we did wake up for that. <laughs> um, 
<clears throat> and just the feeling of being um oh, I don't know the the there were many feelings of course in that situation but probably the the biggest feeling that came to me was um you let me down lord i was taught that you will always take care of me and you didn't take care of me in that situation i think you let me down so i went on for a few months after that with that feeling toward the Lord. And um, then one day a psalm came back to me that I had demanded my children to memorize with me. <laughs> um, psalm 100, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Wait a minute. Serve the Lord with gladness? Oh, I never saw those two words before. With gladness. In this situation of being um, robbed, um, and I'm supposed to keep on serving with gladness, with joy. And so the Lord must have wanted to teach me something and that he didn't let me down. Um, he, even, even if those guy, the guy with the gun had shot us, which he could have done and which they had done a month before we found out later, um, in another robbery, killed the guy who, um, they were robbing. Um, so even if they had killed us, then would I meet the Lord and say, Hey, Lord, you let me down? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Of course not. I would say, Lord, thanks. Here I am with you. Um, wow. I didn't expect to, to be here like that. But here I am, and it's great. So even if I had, if my days had been up at that time, he wouldn't have let me down. And even when we lost material things, um, he didn't let us down in that he preserved our lives. And so um, then, on top of that, he even reminded me, I would like for you to serve me with gladness, with joy. And just the the trust that comes from those hard times. And of course, there have been many other um, times that were not as um, dramatic, I guess you would say, um, each time that I had a baby. I kind of felt like I was going through the valley of the shadow of death because um, being a nurse, I would automatically just think of all the things that could go wrong when a woman has a baby. and But the Lord delivered me and the baby safely. And so it just, there's just so many things. And each day, each day, last week, he delivered me from, from a big rattlesnake. And, um, so when my days are up, I'll go to heaven and be with him. When in the meantime, he'll keep delivering me and he'll keep reminding me, what about joy? What about the Holy Spirit producing joy in your life. And so uh, he does. <laughs> he, it's his work. He does it. Yeah. Thanks. Anything that you wanted to add to that, John? So the, the original question was things that are... Like any struggles or obstacles that you have that you'd like to share that are you know very hard but... God has used to make your life more fruitful? You know, I, th I think learning um, to speak in another language is one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, a reading Hebrew or Greek was not speaking it, just, you know, not remembering, remembering whole phrases and how they work together. 
it's kind of a more passive way of learning a language. You're not really learning to speak it, so it's not as hard. And there's not the time frame like you feel like, oh, I have to say this right now because they're asking me something. But then you try to learn to speak in another language. Spanish was really hard. Quechua was way harder. Because Spanish is Latin-based, somewhat like English is. So there's some parallels to the grammar. Not everything, but, but some. In Quechua, it was a totally different way to think. And um, at first I felt almost crushed. And I thought, can you feel that? despairing and be a Christian, really? And in the scripture where people suffered and they call out to the Lord in the Psalms kind of comes alive to you and you think, oh, I'm not the only person this has ever happened to. Maybe it wasn't over language for them. For David, it was people betraying him. And But the overall effect of be, feeling abandoned or lost or unable to express yourself to the Lord. And I thought, Lord, will I ever be able to do this? And I kept finding things in the scripture that said, well, the people that are asking you to do it feel like you're doing okay. Just keep going. You're not rebelling. You're doing what I'm asking you to do. And I know it's hard, but you'll not be sorry. And sure enough, I'm really happy I did it. I did get to where I can dream in Quechua and speak Quechua. I even find I, I pray in Quechua sometimes. I don't realize it till after I'm like, oh, I was praying in Quechua. Wow. Well, Lord, thanks for putting that in my heart. But things that are often have been very hard in time have turned to be, turned out to be strengthening kinds of things. Like, oh, I didn't think I could endure something like that, but you enabled me to do it. Not not that I'm looking for doing challenges that are dangerous just to be dangerous, but there's enough things in life that are challenging that it's really good to remember that God will bring you through it and you'll be able to comfort people that are facing things and you will actually know what it was like for them because you've heard that way too. And that is really encouraging when you see people and they want to shake your hand, they want to hug you and say, thank you, brother. I love that. I love what you said. And Paul, I think, said it and weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And it's not just rejoice only. Sometimes it's weeping too. And yeah, I have wept a lot. And I'm glad that what the weeping was over was something that God asked me to get involved in and to do. Because that is a strengthening thing. And it not that I, I'm trying to be just self-sufficient strong, but I know who to go to. I have my Father in heaven and I go to Him. And I don't see the answers that day sometimes, but I know that He's working on it from the moment I mention it to Him. Thanks. When it comes to um, like struggles against sin, um, particularly because of maybe some tough situations in, in your life, is there anything that you have learned about winning those struggles? I guess we've kind of talked about that earlier when you were talking about just really bringing the word in and just talking about it with other people and so forth. Um, you know, I could could mention that my wife sometimes has been a real, um, she's always been encouraging, but in a, in a way that other people couldn't be. Noticing trends in my life. And one time she asked me, uh, mm, are you going to ever forgive your father? You know, he's gone now. 
And I'm like, oh my goodness. Yeah, I'd better get on that. (laughs) I had better. I can't, I don't need to live in. He did this and he shouldn't have. He said that and he shouldn't have. He was sometimes discouraging. He wasn't a believer. When he became a believer, he stopped doing that. Mm -hmm. But I noticed that I was doing that about some things. After my wife mentioned it to me, and I really thank God for that, mm-hmm. that that she trusted me enough to say, look, uh, you may react to this, but I really want you to get over that. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be chained to what happened to you or where you're from or whatever your income level is. is not. It's not like you're going to be rich all of a sudden and then you'll be happy. The key is to be content following the Lord and having the assets that we have in the scripture. And if he wants you to have more, I've learned to take a kind of approach instead of, I'm going to do this because my dad wouldn't. (laughs) And I wish he would have framed it in a more positive way that when, when I want to buy a new computer, Let me be second in line, Lord, if I get the money ready. Let me look around and see, do all my, are my friends all right? Did somebody get their computer stolen? Did something happen? And the Lord has enabled me to give some things with great joy because I was planning. I said, I'm planning my tools for the army of God, not for myself. And he has enabled me to give some wonderful things that way. Instead of feeling like, look how much this costs. Oh my goodness, that's wasteful. I'm not getting it. It was my money. And blame my dad for having that attitude. But say, okay, my dad taught me to be conservative. And the Lord is teaching me to use that conservative edge now to promote the good of the family of God. So it's something that even God in his wisdom in my past life gave me some experiences that were hard at the time, and I didn't see why, but now I do. I I don't see everything. I don't have to. I just know my Heavenly Father is wise, and that whatever experience I've had in the past can be turned around and used for Him just modified by him. So, and when Shar, she said to you to get over, like, was it resentment toward your dad? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So was that um, a process, or was that oh, I need to do that, and then it's kind of taken care of? Or oh, it's a compl- it's years of process <laughs> for me. Mm-hmm. I, I don't realize what all I resent until something comes up and I'm like, hey, where is this coming from? Oh, that. <laughs> and I deal with things when they come up. I, I've i thought about it and prayed about it for hours before the Lord, but then I can't just focus on what happened once upon a time. And I just deal with things when they come up to my mind and I don't have to even know where it comes from. So, and that's related to that resentment. Um, Something will come up and you'll realize, well, that's a bit of resentment still there. And you deal with it. Did you say you you spend time in prayer? You you spend hours in prayer? Is that what you, what you mean? Well, there's that issue, you know, that bit of resentment still in your heart. And now what do you do? Uh, I, like I noticed I have a car. One of my cars is 21 years old. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, the fellow that sold it to me was a person trying to do good. And he took it to some people that lied to him about what they replaced. And I wound up replacing it again. I got it at a certain low price because it was totally repaired, but he didn't really review it well. And when I had to pay $1,000 for this and 900 for that, I thought, hey... <laughs> And why ever that bothered me so much? Partly, I I hardly had the money to pay it. And 
something came up in my mind about blue collar and white collar and people on the top are always trying to cheat. I don't know where I picked that up or heard that. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, just a minute. I don't want to do class warfare. That's not something Jesus is teaching me. That's something that's rubbing off from the culture or somewhere. I I don't have to know where that comes from. That's not a good idea to not like people that have a better car than me. I need to pray that God will protect those people and that they'll drive carefully and all the kids will get home safe, you know, instead of thinking like, oh, do you think you have a better car than me? Is that why you cut in on me? That attitude was something I picked up in the neighborhood, I think, where I grew up. And and I didn't notice it for a long time until I had an older car and I didn't have the money to fix it. But I turned that around like, well, Lord, help me get this car as far as I can get it and enable me to teach people to be respectful of everyone. I see I'm getting some some chances to learn respect as I drive. Okay, help me keep on top of it. And I look, you know, I find verses when I'm reading, I'm like, wow, hey, this is talking about, I just prayed about this last night. Here's a verse in Proverbs. Wow, great. The Lord just, his timing is kind of almost like a text on a phone, like, ding. The Lord just texted me? Really? (laughs) Kind of like a proverb just shot up at me like, oh, that's that's what I prayed about yesterday. And I just, that's exciting. That's a great, great way to live life. Let, lay it out there before the Lord and let Him answer you, you know? Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. I've, I've wondered before, like, um, when it comes to Jesus crucified and resurrected, like, if there was, um, more power in that for, sanctification in my life and so forth and what I'm getting, if I could just see it more clearly. Like I have experienced comfort, peace, and joy at times when considering the crucifixion of Jesus and his resurrection. But um, I picture it as um, a fount of spiritual life and power for righteousness if my spiritual understanding was more clear, I think. And I don't know. um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about that? It's just something I've been thinking about. um, Like if the gospel just, you know, was more vivid and clear, it would be making more of an impact in my life. Um, Like if I went deeper with it or something along those lines, any thoughts from your own experience? I do have kind of a long-term, since I've been here at this school, things that have been coming together for me, thinking about all these different challenges. The different students are from higher, middle, and lower income groups. And things you learn about their experience and their background are shocking. (laughs) And sometimes surprising, like, wow, hey, great. Uh, this is fantastic. I'm glad you have that opportunity that you live up there instead of down here or whatever. But the thing that I really notice about, about trying to make things clear, the different challenges, they say, my uncle says this, my uncle says that. And like this particular church he's in has all the doctors. And so they know that there's this, you have to be baptized to be saved. That's just all there is to it. And without, you're not saved until you're baptized. And if you're not baptized in that church, you're still not saved. And and um, they said, and I don't believe that, Brother John, but help me figure that out. And I'm like, I've always wanted to figure that out. Man, that's great. Let's work on this. And I began to look about different things in the scripture. And I was just reading through Genesis and noticed Adam and Eve made fig leaves to say, Hey, you know, God won't know that we rebelled against him. If we just uh, like put a little something between him and us, 
a little apron, you know, handmade. You know, that's cool. It's not made in China either. It's handmade right here. And God comes along and says, have you eaten from the tree I told you not to eat from? And he knows. And, well, we were afraid and we hid ourselves. They even hid behind the trees when they figured, ah, this little apron we made is not good enough. Let's just totally hide. I'm afraid of him now because I've rebelled against him. And I, and you see, God comes and talks to them and then it very subtly, which is a good way in the Old Testament, they sometimes made real strong statements by barely mentioning stuff. I have noticed this as a trend. And this particular thing is in, in Genesis later in chapter three. He gave them coats made out of skins or coverings made out of skins of animals. And I thought, the innocent animals? I mean, death was introduced into the world because of Adam and Eve's sin. And yes, they already there was view. There was already some kind of spiritual death. There was a break. They didn't want to be with God. He was coming to talk to them, walk with them in the garden. And they're like, let's get out of here. I don't want to do that. There's something wrong. And then innocent animals die. The first death recorded in the Bible, physical death. And they wear these tunics made out of skins of animals. It's like the innocent die to save the undeserving guilty people. That's like justification by faith without Latin words thrown in there. I mean, it's like any culture anywhere could understand that. You know, whatever they want to call it, it's like the guilty got away with it. But not without a terrible cost. And God's creation was hurt because of this sin. And then I see different, different examples of that throughout the scripture. And I, it just gives me a depth to think, wow, God was already telling people, I'm going to take care of this. And you have Abraham with Isaac. They go, and on the third day, they're on the mountain where they're going to sacrifice Mount Moriah. I'm like, why is it Moriah? I look at my concordance. Moriah is where they built the temple, where Solomon built the temple, where God established permanent sacrifices in Israel. And they stop on the third day. That sounds like it's just wasted words. But in Hebrews, it says... God had made these promises to Abraham and Abraham thought in his heart, well, he said that the, the promises to bless every family in the world through my family will be fulfilled through Isaac's line and he'll have children and children until the, the promised deliverer comes. Well, if I have to sacrifice Isaac, he's gonna, God is going to bring him back to life. He'll have to. He will keep his promise. And I found that in Hebrews after I thought about it a lot. And I looked around about Isaac and Abraham and found, with the concordance, I found it was this thing I had forgotten in Hebrews. But looking back at Hebrews, it was like, wow, what they said there, Abraham says to Isaac, says, Dad, I see we have the, coals to start the fire and I've got the wood and where's the animal? And Abraham says, God will provide. And in his heart, he's thinking somehow, <laughs> I don't know how, but he gets ready to sacrifice his son and God says, don't touch him. And he he raises his eyes up. It means, I mean, God distracted him. He hears an animal in a bush and he goes, oh, he is providing. But there was a thing where the, everybody around there, even the Canaanites, were saying, the Lord will provide. Oh, whoops. The Lord will provide. So this place was called the, remember, the Lord will provide. And so they were looking for somebody 
that God would provide to be the sacrifice, not just animals. And that is pointing to Jesus. When you read Isaiah 53 then, with students, well, they they get it, and I can't read it without crying sometimes, and they cry too. Tears of joy that Jesus did that for us. And it's so obvious, Isaiah 53 is quoted over and over and over in the New Testament, applied directly to Jesus. But when you know that, and then you go back and read it again, it's still just overwhelming and amazing. And it's the innocent dying for the guilty to set them free because of his great love, because he wants us to be his brothers and sisters. And that is just a beautiful analogy but it's not a specific hebrew word is not always used it's like the idea tracing the idea and the god is illustrating it in the old testament clear and clear and clear but in the new testament you read about it and it's you know it's going to happen but it's still so amazing to read that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And how does that apply to us after we trust that Jesus is the only one that can rescue us? What can we do? What price can we pay to rescue others? How can we dedicate ourselves to the rescue work? You know, not, not trying to get hurt, not trying to have people write books about me because I was suffered more than other people or something, but how can we protect our brothers and sisters as they're trying to rescue people? How can we animate them and help them and make sure they don't just spin themselves out and say, Hey, can you help me? I'm gonna, I'm gonna lose my trailer. Oh, well, I would, but I just bought a new truck. Sorry. Put yourself second. Don't always just buy a new truck again and again. (laughs) Because prosperity sometimes can lead us to think, well, there's nobody that's hurting. But the more, more our students are involved with each other, they begin to share. We see them doing this. $20 at a time. Nothing gigantic, but $20 at a time. Some student is not going to graduate because they still owe $1,000. And a whole bunch of people give $20 and they're through. And they, and they got the money. And it looked impossible, but every semester we get to see things like that. Hmm. But. I was, um, I was going to ask you, uh, what gives you confidence that the Christian faith is true? But that almost sounds like a silly question now because I just hear the depth of your, you know, your life with the God. Uh, so it almost just, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it just seems a little, um, but, um, I imagine, um, just the experience of walking with God is just enough in itself to give a lot of confidence that this is a real thing that mm-hmm. we are involved in and rather than <clears throat> just something made up and so forth. Well, there's a lot, you know, there's a hundred, probably a hundred attacks a week on, that's just your tradition, my tradition is this, you know, all these different backgrounds people have. But wow, when you look, when you look at at Christianity, there's archaeology backing up how Abraham and Isaac and all those people lived back in the time. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's archaeology for everything, probably just about in the whole Old and New Testament. There's not that much archaeological proof for the death and resurrection of Jesus. We know that things like that kind of death were common in Rome, but these people were eyewitnesses. And people have, have mentioned things without without reading deep, big books. 
Like uh, I read a book on the Gospel of John, and I thought, well, I'm going to read the introduction. It was 400 pages. Hmm. It was two volumes. <laughs> it was 2,000 pages. And I, I I'm going to read the whole introduction. And I did. And I thought, this is 400 pages answering all the people that said, don't stay on the trail. Come over here and play around with us. We have all these games we want you to show us. Thanks, so we can keep you off track. <laughs> when the guy got back to the scripture, he only studied the Bible and it was helpful. But the things that were not helpful in his commentary were people say this is wrong because of this, but it's not because of these eight reasons. And I'm like, leave them out of it. I mean, I don't need to know. There's another thousand reasons next year, okay? But it's all a viewpoint a uh, the way they under their way they understand things is based on if wrong wasn't wrong and right wasn't right well i'm not going to talk that way and i'm not going to play those games but christianity does definitely have archaeological proofs of the time frames but when you look at the eyewitness testimony, the Holy Spirit uses the eyewitness testimony of the scripture in your heart. And if you're willing to lay down your rebellion, God is willing to open your heart, <laughs> you know? And then, oh, well, Go ahead. do we have time? Oh, yeah. Um, another, uh, thing that always makes me realize it's true is that the Bible doesn't just sugarcoat everything. It tells you the good, the bad, and the ugly. If you read the entire Bible and think about what all that, all that it contains um, is so different than any other religious, quote, quote, writing um, because it lets you see sometimes it doesn't say uh, well like for example Lamech having two wives the first the first person you know why would Genesis record all this stuff about creation and everything that happened in the fall and then Here's Lamech, and he has two wives, and he's bragging about killing someone to his two wives. And it doesn't say, thou shalt not have two wives, right there. It just shows you what happens <laughs> um, as you go through it. And so if you just draw the conclusions that you are left with in your own mind, and you see the results of the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's different than anything else in the in the world that you come across. Um, so that's another, yet another uh, convincing thing for me is is the way the Bible includes everything. Hmm. Okay, thanks. Well, I've really enjoyed this. Uh, it's been encouraging to me, and I'm going to look forward to uh, listening to it again because there's a lot in here worth listening to again, you know, so thanks. Um, and it's been a privilege for me. Thank you both for you, taking Thank your you. time. Thank you. Thank you. Hope you can use it. I'm sure I can. Yeah. All thanks. right. Well, thank you.